1 Samuel, are you there this morning? If you've got a Bible, we'll get there in a moment. We're starting a new series this morning. It's entitled, Always. Can you look at somebody this morning and say, Always. 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 And really, it's, um, it's kind of like, I'm excited about this series. We're gonna be, we're gonna be going through this for the next like six weeks. And, um, and the idea behind it is that there are things that we as Christians should always be doing. There, there is just no matter what the circumstances, no matter what we're facing, no matter who we're talking to, no matter what the circumstances are around us, these, these are things that we should always be doing as Christians. The scripture that I want to kind of start off with this morning is 1 Peter 2 verse 9, and I know you know it very well. Can we read it together this morning? It says there, it will be on the screen, it says, but you are a... Come on, read out last, nice and loud. Let's go. But you, chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own purchased special people, that you may set forth the wonderful deeds and display the virtues and perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The word virtue there means moral excellence and quality of character. It's not really a word we use today, so that's why I highlighted it there. And I want you just to see from this passage of Scripture that God's heart is that out of every single nation, out of every single race group, ethnic group across the world, out of every single continent, He wants to take and form a new nation. He wants to gather a people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And he wants to gather a people together who will be a holy nation, who will be a chosen people, who will, that will, that will display the wonderful deeds of God and the virtues and the perfections of him who called us out of darkness. So his vision is a people within the people. And a people that will display Him. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? That will display the virtues and the perfections of Him. That we were chosen not just to be chosen. That we were chosen just to display the virtues of God. To display the works of God. To be a reference point for society when they want to know what God is like. That they would know and look at the holy nation. God's own chosen special people. Our job is to be that example to society. That's what God wants from our lives. So if I had to ask you this morning, like I know we're all known for our, 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 our different cultures and we, you know, different nations and things like that. Like Nigerians are dressing best dressed, you know. They win colorful outfits, you know. Uh, although there's probably a lot of other nations in West Africa that would uh, contest that. But anyway, we'll just... This morning they win. Amen. Um, but if I had to say to you something, what, what, what is the first thing that comes to mind when I say to you, Italians? Pizza, pasta, red wine, red wine tomatoes, Mediterranean food, food, hey, food. <laughs> Shoes, bags, leaning tower of pizza. Okay, some of these I'm not going to repeat up here, okay? We'll just, we'll just leave it there. But isn't it interesting how that when I say the word, there, there's immediately some associations you have with Italians. If I had to say to you this morning, Chinese, what comes to mind? The shape of their eyes. Food again. <laughs> we always go to for food. Isn't that funny? Jackie Chan, China Mall down the road. I don't know. What, you know, we immediately think of a few things. If I say Germans, what comes to mind? Cars, BMW, Volkswagen, some history things as well, okay? But if I say to you this morning, Christian. Ha, <laughs> Hopefully you said some good things there. Hopefully you said some good things. The point is this, is that just like nations have reputations, 
And people groups have reputations. They're known for their cultures. They're known for their food. They're known for their, you know, the Germans, they're precise, you know. Yes, very precise, you know. They're, they're known for their, their attributes. Um, and what are Zulus known for? You know, we just, we can move, you know. <laughs> Notice I said we. <laughs> With these characteristics, stop. These characteristics that we're known for, all right, there should be characteristics that Christians are known for. That when you meet them, this is what you see. This is what you get. When you encounter them, you'd, you'd walk away if you weren't a Christian and go, I think that person was a Christian because there were these things that you noticed in their lives. In other words, there are things that Christians should be known for. There's things that Christians should always be doing. Always be doing. And, and thereby, if we were always doing them, we would be displaying those virtues of God and being the people that God really wants us to be in the world. This morning, we're going to look at the virtue, one of these virtues. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at a number of different virtues. But the one virtue, as Sam said, that we're going to look at this morning is the virtue of honor. Honor is something that we should have as Christians and be as Christians, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what we're going through, no matter who we're talking to, honor should always be there. It's a virtue that off this holy nation that God wants to build. And so this morning, let's start with the Lord's Prayer this morning. Can we start by saying the Lord's Prayer? Our who art, hallowed be your name. Let's stop right there. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The word, have you ever wondered what that word hallowed means? This is what it means up there. It means be valued, esteemed, and honored. Another way to say it would be your, your name is precious and to be honored, O Lord. Our Father who art in heaven, your name is precious and to be honored. Malipatwe ngobuntwele. May it be whole. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> may it be. May it be held. Where in my in my life, may it be held. May it be held in society. May it be held in the world. Malipatwe ngomuntuele with honor, with holiness, with reverence, with respect. Your name, who you are, God Almighty. So. So I want you to notice something here, that Jesus is teaching us to pray. The disciples said, come and and, and Lord, teach us how to pray. And he says, okay, this is how you pray. You start with honoring God. That if you're going to approach God, the first thing that you do is you honor Him. That the first thing that comes out of your mouth or in the way that you speak is, is you come into His gates with praise and thanksgiving, which is actually an expression of honor. That's what you, have you ever wondered why we, we sing and worship before we do anything else in church? It's because it's a way we honor Him. We come to Him first with honor. Okay? That's what singing and worship is, is we're giving Him honor. And so we honor God because of where He is and who He is. Jesus told us, where is our Father? He's in? He's in heaven. There's a scripture that says, you are God in heaven, and here am I on earth. It's also a song. It's firstly a scripture in Ecclesiastes. So I'll let my words be few. Jesus, I am so in love with you. Okay, But but the point is this, is that God, all right, His position is in heaven. And so what we're doing is we're acknowledging His position. He is in heaven. He is in a place above the place where we are. And because of where He is, we honor Him. And because of who He is, He's our Father, we honor His name as well. So position and, and, and because of who He is, he's, who He is and His position, that's why we give Him honor. And so what Jesus was doing was he was teaching us, this is how you approach God. 
This is how you come to Him. But Jesus didn't just teach it to us by giving us the Lord's Prayer. He modeled it in His everyday life here on earth. When Jesus was here on earth, everything He did, He did in honor of His Father. He said, I only do what I see my Father doing. And He, he said, I, I, every, everything that He did in life, I only do it because I see the father doing it i don't speak of my own accord but i i speak because the father gives me things and that's the things that i share even in his hour of of temptation in the garden of gethsemane his hour of anguish he said father let not if, if possible let this cup pass from me like i, I really don't want to do this <laughs> this is hard but not my will be done let your will be done so when jesus taught us to pray thy will be done it wasn't something that he didn't then go and model himself he showed us what a life should be like lived in honor to god he said my food is to do the will of him who sent me nevertheless the thing that sustains me the thing that feeds me the thing that that propels me that that gives me satisfaction in life my purpose is to do his will the will of him who sent me and so we see in Jesus an incredible model of what it means to honor the Father, of how we should do it as well. And the, what, what I find, and, and that should just be enough for us this morning, but what I find incredible out of that is that when you go and read the New Testament, what you'll then see is that it wasn't just one-way traffic, that it wasn't just jesus submitting and giving honor to the father but then what you see is the father then honoring the son this is my son in whom i am well pleased and not only that after jesus died on the cross and and went through just the most excruciating painful experience ever to pay the price for our sins it says then that God then, because of that attitude, because he left heaven and went through that entire process and humbled himself to the point of being a slave and, and dying on the cross for us, therefore that God has then exalted him and given him the highest place in the universe at his right hand where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess whether they're on the earth, above the earth or below the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And he's, he's handed the world and the universe all over to Jesus. So the picture is not just Jesus honoring his father and obeying his father, but we see this incredible reciprocation from the father going, this is my son. And because of the incredible honor that he has laid upon me, I bestow upon him everything. The name above every name is Jesus. Talk about honor. What incredible honor, but isn't he worthy of it? Isn't he worthy of that? I mean, who else has done what Jesus has done? He's worthy of the name that's above every name. So, so what we see is that as Jesus honors the Father, the Father then honors him. And so this relationship that we see is really this, this Father-Son honoring relationship becomes our model. It becomes our standard. It becomes our, I don't know, our prototype of how this holy nation that God is building should operate. That we should be people of honor, who honor God and God is honoring us. Key verse this morning. Are you in 1 Samuel 2? If you're there, you can... It's good to have your Bible. I can see pages turning. Screens coming on. <laughs> 1 Samuel 2, verse 30. This is, this is our key scripture for this morning. And I pray, Father, that, look, as we look at your word this morning, Dad, Lord, help us just to honor this moment. <laughs> Lord, we, we, we creatures with just the epidemic of dishonor, God. And I pray that just help us in this moment, just to honor this moment and just to honor this word and, and, and let it, let us exalt it high in our lives right now and be so teachable to it, Father, I pray. Help me to communicate your heart in this, Jesus. Okay, let's read 1 Samuel 2.30. It says, therefore, the Lord God of Israel says, I said, 
Indeed, that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. I want you to remember this scripture. If you forget everything else that I'm going to share this morning, I want you to remember the scripture. Can we just say that part that's bolded there? For those who honor me, I will honor. For those who honor me, I will honor. You know, the, the context of the scripture is Eli, who was a judge in Israel, was called into the position of judge and to be like spiritual head and spiritual leader as well as governmental leader and prophet to the nation. And he was anointed and called by God. And we see here God's heart towards Eli. He said, Eli, I wanted, when I called you, man, in my mind, my intention with you was was that we would have a multi-generational relationship, man. That your kids and your kids' kids and your kids' 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 kids would all be, like you would be a generation that just serves me. That through you, I would just have a lineage of men and women who serve me, who would be close to me, who have the same call as you have. But the problem was this, is that Eli had two sons, and his sons grew up in the temple and... Uh, in Israel, and and they dishonored God, his sons. And Eli didn't correct his sons. They they profaned the offerings. They were uh, there was they were fornicating with women in the temple. There was there was just there was they were like they were offsides in every way. All the people knew it. Every every you know it was just it was terrible what they were doing. And Eli never corrected them. And God came to him and said, you know what? What you're doing is you're dishonoring me and you're honoring them and their sin more than my word and my commands. And because of that, I'm stopping this now with you. That this thing now between you and me, this this intention that I had, it now ends. And I want you to see this, is that this is so important you get this. That the, the, that the blessing of God and the favor of God is linked to honor. That if we want to experience God's blessing, God's favor, God's protection in our life, it's it's so closely linked. Honor is like it's like the door to that blessing. It's like the 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 thing that releases the tap of God's goodness over our lives. Proverbs 18 verse 16 says the following: A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. I know we, we typically speak about this passage in, in terms of your natural gifting. Like, you know, if you're a good singer or you're a really good, I don't know, auditor or if you, whatever your gift is, like because you're really good at it, it's going to make room for you and it's going to bring you before great men. And that's absolutely true. The con- you know, to, to look at it, that scripture like that. And, and you know, the, your gift will make room for you. So work on your gift, okay? So work on your gift. Make sure you know what your gift is and steward it well. That's, that's biblical that you do that. But there's also another, uh, another way, another sense, and a more practical sense that this, this scripture is actually also relevant to. It's, it, what it can also mean is that you can bring a gift to someone, and then that gift then makes room for you in their lives and can actually bring you before great men. It can actually make, uh, it can actually promote you as well. And there's an example of this in, in scripture where the Queen of Sheba, how many of you know about the Queen of Sheba? In the, in the scripture, you know, in the days of Solomon, Solomon was just like, the kingdom was just fruitful and Gold was common in the days of like Solomon. I mean, silver and gold were everywhere. It was just like, it was just crazy the prosperity that was flowing in the days of Solomon. And the Queen of Sheba heard about this. She heard about this king and this empire he was building and this, just the, the favor and the blessing of God on his life. And so what she did was she, she, she put a massive gift together. She got gold, precious stones, 
spices. She laded camels. She put this whole caravan together. And she was like, I need to go and see this king. I need to go. Maybe she thought, I need to go and glean from his wisdom or get some whatever he's got. I want to find out what's going on there. And it's interesting that she goes with a gift. And it's not just a gift, but it's an elaborate, expensive, amazing gift. In fact, the Bible says that she came with so much spice that it's never been seen before, like how much she came with. That's how much she came with. So this incredible, lavish gift. And she arrives at King Solomon. And the first thing, she, she comes and she brings this gift to Solomon. Now question, did Solomon need that gift? He didn't. Did he need any of that gold or precious? No, like you're giving to someone who's got enough people. You know what I mean? Like, isn't this how we think? Well, this person's like really, they, they, they're rich, so we'll just, you know, we get them, you get them a card. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, they, they're fine. You know, they're fine. She doesn't think like that. She doesn't think, well, he's fine. She comes with honor. And the honor is represented in this gift that she comes. And it's interesting. She brings this gift to King Solomon. And then a little bit later in the passage, it's recorded how, you know, how he shares and they talk and they have all this stuff. And there's a lot of, you know, extra biblical writings about their encounter. But in 1 Kings 10 verse 13, it says this. Now when King Solomon, now King Solomon gave the Queen of Sheba all she desired. Isn't that incredible? Gave her all she desired, whatever she asked, besides what Solomon had given her according to the royal generosity. So according to royal generosity, if there's a royal visiting, you, there's a royal gift that goes with it. But he didn't just stop there, he gave her whatever she asked for. Whatever she desired, he gave it to her. Her gift to Solomon of honor opened room for her and brought her into his presence and he opened his good treasure. She left with a lot more than what she arrived with. And in there is a picture of God the Father and us and how we should come to God. That we come to God with this honor and we bring whatever we can bring, but the result is that we will always, God's not a taker. You'll always end up with more than what we came with. All right? That's, and I want you to see that this is what the gift of honor, this is what honor is. Honor is a gift. It's something that you give to somebody. How many of you have been honored before? Don't you feel like you've received something? Don't you feel blessed? Doesn't it like touch your heart? When somebody honors you, you feel like, my goodness, you know, I feel like I... And what is your reaction thereafter? You open room for them. Whatever they, you, you make space for them in your life. You, you know, there's, there's always a reciprocation that comes from it. This is really the picture that we see in Scripture. There's another example in 1 Samuel 25. You can go forward to chapter 25. But maybe just for the sake of time, I'll, I'll kind of just paraphrase this example. You can read the story later. It's the, the, the story of David and Nabal. And in this chapter, what you see is Nabal is, I don't know, how can I describe this? He's, he's, a, he's a wicked man. That's what the Bible calls him, okay? He's this wealthy guy. He's just, he's laden with sheep and cattle and herds. And he's just, he's got everything. You know, he's, he's got a couple Maseratis and, you know, the... He's, he's got that 10 bedroom home, cinema in his house. You know, he's just, he's laid and he's got it all, all the possessions, whatever. But the Bible says he's a wicked man. He's a selfish man. And David is out in the fields and in the countryside. And while he's out there, you know, there was a, t- it was a time when there was just random acts of pillage and there were traveling kind of caravans of vagabond kind of mean people who would just raid and destroy and there were nations that would just raid and destroy it was like it was anarchy in those days okay and david because of where he was camped with all his men actually acted as a protection to nabal this wicked guy 
all of Nabal's flocks and shepherds were protected because Dave, where David camped. And no other raiders could come, though they did, they weren't could get to Nabal. And then the days passed and Nabal was out with his shepherds or his men were out in the fields and they, they were shearing their sheep and getting ready to cull them and, and David heard about this and he said, listen, send some servants, go to Nabal and listen, we, we, my men are hungry, we need some stuff. Ask him if, just go and honor him and ask him if we could have some of what, the supplies. Um, and so his servants go to Nabal and Nabal treats them with dishonor and disrespect. So, so much so that they come back to David just, sorry, you know, like this guy. You you ain't getting anything out of this guy, you know. (laughs) David is mad. He is mad. He like, he grabs his men and he's like, let's go. Let's sort this guy out. Doesn't he know how much I've done for him? And he's not even willing to share a couple sheep with my men because we're hungry at this point. Let's go. Let's take him out. And he goes and he starts, like they, they got their swords drawn and they're like ready for revenge. Nabal has a wife called Abigail. Abigail gets wind of David coming. And she knows that her husband is a wicked man. And, a, and actually a fool as, at that as well. She calls him a fool, alright? Because he was, alright? He was a foolish, wicked man. And she gets wind of this. And you know what she does? She puts a gift together. She gets loaves and fruits and she gets a whole bunch of food and she ladens up the donkeys and she goes to meet David, who is about to destroy Nabal and everything that Nabal has, including Abigail. She goes with this gift. She lays it before David in the path. She humbles herself before him. And she says, please forgive my husband. He's a fool. Please forgive him. And accept this as a, as a gift and as a thank you for what you have done in our lives. We, we acknowledge what you have done and we appreciate it. And David is so grateful. He's like... Sure, this woman is incredible. She was very beautiful as well, apparently. This woman is incredible. I was just about to take revenge, but now I, she's stopped me from this. And the Lord has saved me from doing this. And so he goes back and he takes the gift and he says, you know what, we'll just, we'll forget about this whole thing. Interesting, ten days later, Nabal is struck dead by God. Heart attack dies, just like that. Okay? And... Abigail then becomes David's wife. Okay? <laughs> we won't go into the, the morality of that right now. Okay? I know this is February and just settle down. We're on the topic of honor, okay? <laughs> We're on the topic of honor. But, you know, I just I love the Bible because... Wrapped up in, in these stories are so many allegories and metaphors for our relationship with God. If you could think of it this way, David in the story is like, represents God. Okay? And Nabal represents humanity. Wicked, just amassing our own possessions, thinking selfishly, ungrateful, not acknowledging God. God is protecting us giving us every single day. He's given us our sane minds, the breath in our lungs. Isn't it crazy that people use their breath, the breath in their lungs, to curse God and deny God when that very breath comes from God? And they use their brains to, and they think they're real smart to say, oh, there isn't a God, with the very brain that God gave them, you know? And it's, it's like it's a picture of Nabal, you know? Just ungrateful, unrecognizing of what has actually been given to him. And David is a type of God. And the end result of that relationship, as we know in the Bible, is death and judgment. That Nabal, humanity, is on this collision course with God. In Thessalonians it says, Jesus will come back with angels in flaming fire to take vengeance on those who do not obey the gospel. So there's this collision course taking place. But within humanity, there is a group of people that heed to sanity and heed to the evidence of creation and their conscience. And they turn up out of the house of Nabal and they go, you know what, God, there is a God. And we need to honor this God. And let's go meet Him on the path before we destroy. 
And let me bring honor to him because he deserves this honor. And the result of that is that Nabal's house was destroyed. Humanity will be destroyed one day. But Abigail, as a representation of the church, then becomes the bride of Christ. Okay? So we see this incredible picture taking place. But I want you to notice that it's the gift of honor that takes Abigail from a place of destruction and being cut off from the blessing of God to a place where she, she would never thought, have thought in her mind when she prepared that gift that, I, yeah, I'm, I want to be this guy's husband. You know, that was never in her mind. She was saving herself and her maidservants and her family. and She was thinking of salvation alone. And yet she gets then promoted to an incredible place, which is actually to be David's wife and life partner with David. And then eventually David takes over the kingdom of Israel, becomes the king of Israel. So what does that make her? The queen. The girls are like, queen. You know? (laughs) Guys, that's you and us too. We're the... (laughs) We're in there, the bride of Christ, okay? As uncomfortable as it is. It's there, okay? So, but do you see how her honor resulted in way more? You know, when you honor God and say, God, I know you're real, and I see that Jesus died for my sin, you get salvation. But guess what? You get so much more than that. You become the bride of Christ. You get heaven and eternity. You get to be called a child of God. You get way more just for that act of I will honor this cross. I will honor this word. I will honor this truth. You get so much more. And so this is what honor does. It's a gift and it makes way for you. Are you still with me this morning? The reverse is true as well. Take a look at Romans 1.20 this morning. Romans 1.20. Time is short, so I'm just going to read. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead. So they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify the word doxazo, which means to honor, him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Now, we're just going to pause there. Okay, We're just going to pause it there for a moment. But I want you to see that the evidence of God is, is, is in our hearts, in creation, all around us. The invisible attributes of God are there everywhere in the world. And because people do not honor him as God, because people don't turn around and say, I honor you, what you then read in the rest of this chapter is this incredible slippery slope of degradation that happens to humanity. They just go from one degree of wickedness to the next. Their their foolish hearts become darkened. They profess to be wise. They become fools. And then you can carry on reading everything else that happens. It's kind of like the sport. Why don't you just come here for a second? Um, It's like humanity. Why don't you face that way and like you want to walk that way, but I'm holding you so you can't. Okay? It's like this is, this is a picture of God and humanity. Humanity is just like we're doing our lives. We're doing our thing. This is all about us and, and we're not acknowledging God. And, but God reaches out and grabs humanity with the gospel, with Jesus. He, he reaches out and he's like, I don't want you to plunge down to there. But then, okay, I want you to just to shake me loose, bro, and go your way. Okay? But when we, when we don't honor that grab, when we don't honor that hand... He lets go. And that's what Romans is telling us, is that he then goes, okay. You know, let's, let's, let's see where that goes. And the end result is that we plunge into incredible darkness that takes place. But when we turn and we honor that hand, we, and we honor the hand, we receive so much more than what we give. Okay? So there, that's just a picture of the gospel. But the key in this is honor. And there's so many examples in the, in the Bible where you see people who dishonor. 
I mean, you, you've got Miriam and Aaron, and they dishonor Moses. And you see, Miriam is struck with leprosy. You see, Michal, who despised David and dishonors him in front of the servants, and she gets struck barren. You see Ham dishonoring his father Noah and he gets cursed. In Haggai chapter 1, it talks about people who are laboring and putting their stuff in a bag, but it's got like holes in the bag. And they're eating, but they're never satisfied. And they're drinking, but it's never satisfying them. And they're planting a lot, but they're reaping a little. And, the res- and God says, do you know why this is happening to you? It's because while your house is awesome, my house is lying in ruins. You're honoring yourselves, but you're not honoring my house. And the result of that is that you do not step into this incredible flow. Bring the honor that's due to me and step into the blessing. You see, honor is the, is the, it's the path, it's the gate, it's the doorway to receiving from God. It's what we see in the Queen of Sheba coming with this elaborate gift. And, and it's what we see in the Psalms through worship. Give unto the Lord the glory that is due His name. And we step into the blessing of God. And it's this culture that God wants us to be known for in the church. This is what, if there's any virtue that God wants in the church, it's this virtue of honor. Is that what we see modeled in the Father and the Son would then become the standard for how we treat each other here in this church. That our relationships here are based and founded on honoring each other. Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says the following. It'll come up. Don't just pretend to love others. Amen. Amen. Please, can we not do that? Let's not fake it till we make it, you know? Really love them. This is the NLT speaking. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. He's emphasizing it because church can become howdy brother, howdy sister. Oh, I love you. You're so awesome. And then that's it. You know, was there anything genuine behind it? Was there anything real behind it? And then it says, and take delight in honoring each other. Take delight in it. Enjoy it. Make this a custom, a culture, a thing that you do. Take delight in it. Just like you delight to eat and you delight to play sports and you delight to hang out and watch movies together. Delight in honoring each other. Make it something that's a celebration point. Make it something that you do continuously to each other. The world works the other way around. The world is all about lowering other people to exalt yourself. And God wants this church, our church, the church, capital C, to be known as a place where there is honor in the ranks. That we're we're honoring each other. And remember, honor, it's a gift that you give to other people. I remember when we we, we went on a mission trip to Malawi. And um, we we got to hook up with Tzachan's family, distant family, her family's Big and well-spread, truly African family, you know. They find out there's family everywhere. <laughs> but she had some family. Where's Tsukhang? Are you here? Where you? She's with children. She's in kids' ministry. Um, so on Malawi, she finds out that there's an uncle, uncle, uncle there. And we try and connect with him. So we're in Blantyre, and we go, and they make contact. And he says, would you come around for dinner? So... So we come round for dinner, and um, and and they were just the most welcoming, receiving. They didn't know us. They didn't really know Tsakhang too well. Even they were still trying to actually piece out how they were family, you know, when we arrived. But they were so welcoming to us, and so receiving that they had literally put on a spread on the table that was just, you know, when there's. There's like a meal on the table. It's like it's chicken and veg. This was like chicken and veg and this and that. You know when there's bowls, you know, all over. You know, they had like, they laid it all out. And then we sit down for dinner and you could just feel this, this family was special. You know, there was something about them. The way they carried themselves, the way they were, things were in order, things were proper. This was, 
just was just there was something about this home. And then we sat down for dinner, and he had two daughters. And I'll never forget this because it was just one of the most incredible things that's ever happened to me in my life. The one daughter took a towel. She put it on her arm like this. And the other one got a bowl, a beautiful bowl, full of just warm, tempered water. And they both came and they bowed down to us. All right? And they washed our hands. They allowed us to wash our hands. And then they dried our hands with the towel. My first reaction was like, no, 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 I got this. You know, my mama taught me, just point me to the bathroom, you know. I got this, you know. But I just, but it was culture. So you, you just, you do what culture is, you know. And it was this incredible, I felt so humbled. I can't tell you how blessed I felt. It was just incredible. For them it was normal. This is how they, this is how they roll. That's how they roll. When you have guests, they bring out the best. And this is what the daughters in the home do. And I, and I just thought, you know, it's such an incredible picture of honor to guess. And it was like I, I really felt like I had received a gift. And when I was thinking of that, I was reminded of the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. So if we jump to that story, all right, John 12, somewhere around there, John 13. Here we have a culture, all right, a Jewish culture where everyone wore sandals and the roads were dusty. There was no, like, tarred roads and stuff. Everything was dusty. The culture was that when you entered into a home, the first thing that you would do is that you would get your feet washed, and typically by the lowest servant or the youngest member of the household. That was the culture. That was what they grew up in. And the reason for that was because the way they did dinner was not sitting at a table like you and I. They would kind of recline on these low tables and your kind of feet were very much here. You know, so if we're all kind of sitting like this, you know, like your foot's coming under me here and this guy's foot's coming across and there's this low table. So feet are very much part of dinner. Okay? <laughs> and so... You don't spend a hot day on dusty streets and then come and eat food when someone's toe is next to the bowl of lentils. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's just unheard of. Okay? But it's really interesting how they all arrive and no one is doing this foot washing thing. And then the food comes out and they're all sitting down and eating the food. And there the feet are. You know? And it's been a hot day. Girls... These were men, you know, <laughs> and they got their feet, you know, everywhere. And I don't know whether it was just like the smell got too much and Jesus got up or, I, you know, Jesus gets up and he does it for them, which was really an indictment against them. And I don't know what was going on. Maybe, you know, maybe they were just all a bunch of guys and they forgot to do it. But I doubt it because their culture was so steeped in, in cleanliness rules and things like that. Or it's more probable that nobody wanted to do it. Nobody wanted to do it. Nobody wanted to be the guy. And, and it would be rude to go wash my own feet and then come and sit down. Because if I start the process, then I need to finish it with everybody else. <laughs> so... Everybody's waiting for somebody else to do it. Nobody's doing it. And eventually Jesus is like looking at this and going, right, okay, let me teach you something. He gets up. And it's just unheard of that the person deserving the most honor would stoop down to the lowest job in the, in the room and do that. And he then washes their feet as an example. Look at how he finishes what he, this, this conversation with them. Look at what, it says, what he says to them. He says, you call me teacher and master and the Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. If then your Lord, your teacher, your master has washed your feet, you ought to. It, and the Amplified says, it's your duty. You're under obligation. You owe it to wash one another's feet. For I have given you this as an example so that you should do in turn what I have done to you. Jesus seizes the moment. And remember, he's sitting with the men who are going to thereafter go and build the church. 
the men who are going to go and establish churches in nations around the known world. These are the men who are going to set the culture, the tone, the leadership structures. These are the guys that are going to, this incredible organization called the church, which has been lasting for 2,000 something years, was birthed by these guys. They set the tone, the standard for it. So Jesus, knowing this, takes this and seizes the opportunity. And says, guys, this is how we're going to be. This is going to be our culture. This is what we're going to be known for. We're going to be known for saying, I'm going to honor you even if it costs me. Even if it costs me, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to prefer you. I'm going to defer to you. I'm going to give you respect. I'm not going to be sitting there waiting for somebody else to do it to me and respect me and honor me. I'm not going to wait for, I'm not going to be the person that waits for it. I'm going to be the person that jumps in and does this thing. This is the tone and the standard that he set for us and how we should function as a church. And not only for us, but then that we would take, we would get this thing so right here and then we would take it out to the world as well. And let me remind you, it's a world where honor is rare. Think about the homes and how kids are to their parents today. Think about the schools and how our teachers are being treated in schools. And all the teachers said, Amen. <laughs> Think about our roads. Think about pollution, how we dishonor our environment. How we dishonor our neighbors and turn our music up or whatever. Think about our workplaces and how our boss says something and we think it's a suggestion. Or we, we know we can do more, but we do what's just required. We just meet the bar. That's not the people of God. That's not the holy nation. That's not the royal priesthood. The royal priesthood comes and says, because of who you are, because of your position, because of where you're at, I will give you this gift of honor. The work I give you will be excellent. What I bring to the table will be above the standard that everybody else is doing. Schools, families, homes, our workplaces, that we would take this culture into all those places. Dare I say it, Parliament too. <laughs> Amen. You know, it's, it's tough. It's tough when you have positions of honor with dishonorable people in them who keep calling each other honorable. <laughs> it's like the biggest oxymoron there is, you know. It's like, really? It's hard, you know, when we, when we have people who we deem not worthy of honor and we still have to show them honor because that's what the Bible says. You see, because... We, we, we live in such a, an, an age where honor has been eroded from society to the place where we think honor is a commodity and we give it and take it away as we think we can and if you deserve it or not. Like we're the judge. In the Bible, the, the, honor is, is not a commodity, it's a virtue. It's who you are. You give honor because of who you are, because you're royalty, because you have a father in heaven who loves you, because you're his child. doesn't matter who you're talking to or what the situation is or whether they, you think they're worthy of it or not, you still give it. Amen. Amen. Look at what Peter wrote. Look at this. Peter says this. He says in 1 Peter 2.17, he says, honor all people. In other words, honor always. Look at somebody and say, honor always. All people. And he says, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. A lot of us read that and we think, well, yeah, yeah, we must honor authorities. Do you know who Peter was writing this to? He was writing to people who were, either he's referring to Caesar King Caesar, always referring to King Herod, both wicked men. Both men who were trying to destroy the church, both men who were just, you know, pagan in every way and not God-fearing. And, and if anybody thinks, you know, these people aren't worthy of honor, then that's them. And yet Peter writes to this audience, that people, and says, honor the king. 
Give them the honor that's due to their name. You see, Christ took honor and he, and he took it past the fickle standard of the world and he made it a virtue, something that, of who we are. So we can't go to our boss or our lecturers or anyone and, and because they are not righteous people, because my boss is like, you know, tough and, and he does this and he does that, now I have a reason not to give him the honor. No. David honored Saul, a demon-possessed guy. Alright? We see Joseph honoring Pharaoh. We see Daniel honoring Nebuchadnezzar. And this is, if, if you're still not convinced, Jude chapter 1 says the following. It says, it's going to come up there. It says, likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh, they reject authority, they speak evil of dignitaries, yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, did not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. That word reviling accusation is blasphemia. The archangel Michael, in dealing with the devil, did not stoop to the devil's level. But said, the Lord rebuke you. Let judgment be in the Lord's hands. I mean, he's dealing with a thief, a killer, and a destroyer. And yet he still does it in a dignified and honorable way. Why? Because of who he is. Because of whose he is. And Donna doesn't mean we then become this like doormat, alright? Because he still, there was a dispute here. So we're allowed to dispute, we're allowed to challenge, but it's all about the way we do it. It's all about how we do it. That we're always giving this thing called honor to others. Amen. Can we stand? I think... I think it's fitting that we maybe just finish this morning with just a moment of introspection and maybe even just repentance and Ndor, if you wouldn't mind just joining us up here, just let's bring our hearts to God this morning. We, like Isaiah, you know, he said, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. You know, we are people of dishonor and we live amongst people of dishonor every single day of our lives. This thing taints us. This thing influences us. This thing is something that gathers on us like dirt. And we need moments where Jesus come, came and washed his disciples' feet and cleansed them. We need moments like that where we stand before the Lord and we allow him to cleanse us. And they were saved already, and I know we're saved already this morning. If you're not, we're going to give you an opportunity to do so. But let's take a moment and let's allow the Lord to cleanse us this morning. Can we do that? Can we pray?